Would you pray with me? Almighty God, we offer to you our praise this morning on this beautiful day that you have made. We ask that you would help us to truly rejoice in this day, to be glad for all of the blessings that you pour out onto us this day and every day. We ask as we have gathered here to worship that you would make your spirit known to us, help us to feel your presence, to know your care, to feel your peace. Lord, for all of these things, for all that you have done for us, the things we see and give thanks and those gifts of your grace that go unnoticed. We, we lift up your name, we worship you, and we give you our lives. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. I forgot the offering plates, I forgot my Bible, but I've got a Bible right here. Our scripture reading this morning comes from Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 to 20. This should be a scripture that most of you probably know a lot of it by heart. Matthew writes, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. The word of God for the people of God. Okay. I'm looking at you, Jim. I just noticed something didn't feel right. So I know we've got some visitors here this morning, um, and we probably have people who I haven't told this watching online. Um, I preach barefoot. Um, I actually got the idea way back in college, the church I was going to, the, the pastor there, um, she did the same thing. The real reason we preach barefoot is it's more comfortable. The fancy church theological reason that, that I offer that is actually also a real reason is, uh, you remember the story, it's in Exodus, Moses chases a sheep that gets lost and he goes up to the top of Mount Sinai and, and sees this burning bush. And the first thing that God says to him is, Take off your shoes, you're on holy ground. So I preach barefoot to help me remember um, that the task of leading worship, wherever that is, means I'm on holy ground. Um, really, all the world is holy ground because it's what God made and called good. But uh, it's an extra reminder in worship of the task to which I've been called by God and, and appointed to serve you. Um, so there you go. And I'm keeping them here because I see you. There are a few people who like to mess with my shoes. Kelly Bradbury, Jim Long. I, he's the worst, but you know. Would you pray with me this morning? Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be holy and acceptable in your sight. For you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Um, so this morning is Trinity Sunday. Um, I didn't mention that at the beginning. Maybe you got that by the songs we sang. Um, but today's Trinity Sunday. It's always the first Sunday after Pentecost. Um, and there are a few things about Trinity Sunday. 
um, a few streams of thought for, for worship on Trinity Sunday. Um, it's the day when we commemorate, remember uh, the triune nature of God. That's the fancy way of saying remember God in three persons, blessed Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Um, just like we sang this morning, uh, God the Father, the creator of all that is, um, Jesus Christ, God the Son, the Word made flesh, the Redeemer, God the Holy Spirit, the, uh, the Advocate, the Paraclete that John calls, um, tells us of, the uh, sustainer and sanctifier in our lives. Um, and there are a few different competing interests for how to manage worship on Trinity Sunday. Um, the first is, do not under any circumstances try to explain the Trinity because you're going to fail. And in the process of failing, you're going to espouse some ancient heresy. That is true. Um, every analogy I've ever seen is some heresy um, because we can't quite explain in human language the nature of God. The second thing, the second uh, stream of thought about Trinity Sunday is explain the Trinity. Who cares if you fail and espouse some heresy? At least people are one step closer to understanding the Trinity. Those two don't go together. Maybe you noticed that. Uh, the third is preach something different. Who cares that it's Trinity Sunday? Preach something different because you're going to end up talking about the Trinity anyway if you preach from the word. I'm taking option number three, um, sort of. In the scripture that, that we heard this morning, um, we saw Jesus appear to the disciples after the resurrection. It's the very last part of Matthew's gospel. Uh, Jesus told, told the women who came and to the tomb, or the angels told the women who came to the tomb, go and tell the disciples to go to the mountain where he told you he would meet them. So they went. Jesus appeared before the eleven and gave their final instructions. Um, go make disciples baptize in the name of the triune God, teach what I taught you, and remember I am with you always. Those are the final instructions that Jesus gives. The way that, the way that Matthew gives us to think about the Trinity is um, it's more than just simply offering the names of the three persons of the Trinity. It's more than just Jesus saying, go baptize in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. It, it's subtly nudging us to think about the ways that we can consider and rely on and convey the whole of God. So Jesus tells the disciples, go and make disciples of all nations, reminding them that God, the Father, the creator of all that is, the, the God of the universe is God of all the nations. That God is bigger than just the 11 disciples or bigger than just the people of Israel, but God the Father who made everything is God of everything that he made. The next part is uh, Jesus reminding them of, of himself, urging them to baptize others, to remind them through baptism of, of their choice to die to, their, to themselves and to live through Christ, to take up their cross and follow him. That's the language we get from Jesus. Paul then tells us about our dying to self and rising in Christ with baptism. And Jesus tells them to, to go and proclaim everything that they were told and everything that they witnessed proclaiming the word made flesh. And then there's the Holy Spirit, the promise of God's continued presence in our lives and in, and in our world. Of course, this one is a little tricky because Jesus says, remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. 
but this has been taken historically to, to be a foreshadowing of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit comes to be with all of the faithful, to, to live in the world that God has made. But none of that, none of those things are actually the point of this scripture. Uh, the lectionary uses it on Trinity Sunday because it's convenient, because it says baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and there aren't many places in the Bible where we get all three lumped together. So it's a Trinity Sunday text. But the point uh, of this scripture is that Jesus is, is trying to remind the 11 that they won't be able to fulfill the mission that he has given them to go therefore if they don't rely on the presence and the power of our triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But we have to go back to the beginning of the passage before we can move forward for it all to fall into place. Um, it starts with the 11 on the mountain, the 11, not the 12, because this is after Judas betrayed Jesus and hung himself. Jesus appears to the 11 on the mountain, and Matthew tells us they worshiped him, but some doubted. Some doubted, but they all worshiped. They didn't know, they didn't know what was happening. They, they didn't know what would happen. They didn't even know exactly what had happened. They didn't even ask questions about what Jesus says to them when he says, go. They, for all we know, for all Matthew tells us, they just listened and went. In the midst of their doubt, in the midst of their worship, they went. They had hope in all of the promises that Jesus had given them, and they trusted his words because of all that they had seen him do, even though they didn't understand. Even though none of it made sense and they, some of them were full of doubts, they had hope. It's strange, really, or at least we think it's strange, that after all they had been through, though, they still doubted, right? You think they lived with Jesus for three years, they saw him heal people, they listened to him teach, they saw him raise people from the dead, they saw him raised from the dead, and still they doubted? What's up with that? Why? They had watched him, they had watched him be crucified and laid in the tomb. And then now all of a sudden he's standing before them on top of the mountain where he said, I'll come to see you. You'd think after all they'd been through, when Jesus finally appears, they would, they would break out in song and, and maybe dance a little bit and have a party, right? I mean, I'm sure that's what you think you would do. You're wrong, but it's what we think. They, they didn't break out in this great refrain of, of joy at seeing Jesus. Matthew says they worshiped, but some doubted. I don't think, though, that they were doubting what they saw. I don't think they were doubting the idea that Jesus was alive. I think they doubted themselves. You see, they had run away. They had hid in fear that they would be the next to die. And now they knew something incredible was about to happen because in the Bible, every time someone goes up a mountain, something interesting happens. I think they doubted because in their minds, they weren't the right people for the job after all. They had followed Jesus for a few years, and then when push came to shove, they ran away. I think they doubted their own commitment to him, to what he had proclaimed, the, the good news of God. And I think they I think they doubted because I think they doubted because they were up on a mountain and they were waiting for the other shoe to drop because they knew every time you go up a mountain 
something strange is about to happen. Because that's, that's what happens on mountains. You, you see someone in the Bible go up a mountaintop and a miracle happens of some sort. It could be like Moses going up on the mountain to, to meet with God. And, uh, well, one time he goes up and he, comes, he sees a burning bush. Another time he goes up and he comes back with some tablets. Does that twice. Another time he goes up to meet with God and he comes back and he has to cover his face because it's shining. Elijah goes up to a mountain because he wants to see God and, and he witnesses a, an earthquake and, and a huge storm and raging fire. And then where does he actually meet God? In the silence after. Some of the disciples went up a mountaintop with Jesus and Elijah and Moses appeared before them. They knew mountains were dangerous places. But they also knew that mountains were a place of doubt. Because when Moses went up the mountain the first time and met God, when God spoke to him, he said, I am the God of your father Abraham, God of Isaac and Jacob, I'm calling you to go and free my people. And does Moses say, yes, let's go? He says, uh, are you sure? I don't talk very well. I, I'm not the right person. I'm wanted for murder, actually. Moses doubts that he's the right person for the job. Elijah, the same. In waiting for God to appear, he keeps looking and wondering if it's going to happen. And finally, the still, small voice speaks to him. They went up to the mountain, and they saw Jesus, and they worshipped, but some doubted. What Matthew's really telling us is that they brought their doubts as an offering to God. Think about that for a minute. They brought their sense of insecurity, their wondering if they were good enough, if they could handle it, if they were doing the right thing. They brought that to God as a gift. And so what Jesus says is, trust me. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Trust me. Go, therefore, and make disciples. And remember, I am with you always. They worshipped while they doubted. It's really what Matthew should tell us. They were able to receive the, the most important job that has ever been given. Two words. Go, therefore. But let's take that one section at a time. Go, therefore. Go and make disciples. Go baptize. Go teach. Go remember. Go make disciples. Um, I'm not as eloquent as Jesus, but if it was me, I would say something like, don't knock on doors and leave religious tracks for people. That's not making disciples. Don't even worry about saving souls, because that's not making disciples. What it means to make disciples is to equip people, to build them up, to, to know who they are as a child of God, to be willing to take the risk to follow Jesus even to the cross. Making disciples is about helping people to see the world as it should be, the world as God intends it, not how we have messed it up. And then being a disciple is working to make that happen, because that's what Jesus came to do. The next part, go baptize. What that means is meet people where they are. Don't wait for them to come to you. Go to where they are, and then invite them into this journey of new life. Die to self, rise in Christ. Go baptize is about celebration. It's about hope and joy and the promise, the promise that comes with the Holy Spirit's presence always. Go teach is the next one. It's a tricky one because the most translations of the Bible say, go teach them to obey everything I have taught you. But really what Jesus is saying is go teach them to keep everything I have taught you. Obey takes a heavy hand. Teaching people to keep makes them value and honor 
what they've been given, what they've received. It even makes us think back to uh, Deuteronomy, the Shema. Moses, speaking the words of God, says, keep the things I have commanded you this day. Write them on your hearts. Bind them to your forehead and your wrist. Write them on the doorposts of your house. Speak about them when you rise and when you lay down, when you go out, when you come home. Teach them to your children. Keep these things. Teach them to keep doing what I am doing. Serving others. Healing others. Loving others. Give these away as a gift, as grace, rather than as a demand. Teach them to keep what I have taught you. Show them what it means to follow, to serve, to heal, to love. And finally, the last one, go remember. Remember that I am with you always, even to the end of the age. In other words, I'm with you every moment of every day. So show people how I am with you. Show people how God has changed you. When you were broken, how were you made whole? When your back was against the wall, when you thought there was no way out, show how God helped you through to tomorrow. And this is where the doubt comes into play. You have doubts. Everyone has doubts, but you found maybe some answers. At least if you haven't found answers, you've sp- you found some decent explanations that keep you going. So tell people. Show people what it means to worship in the midst of your uncertainty and your fear and your doubts, because we all have them. So these final words that Jesus gave to the disciples are a reminder of everything that we need to know and everything we need to do. That there is hope in our fear, there's forgiveness in our betrayal, there's strength in our weakness. These last words that Jesus gave are about inviting people to come and see what Jesus has done. So go, therefore. Go down the mountain, go out into the world, and offer people the same hope that you have found in God. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen.